We're gonna we're gonna see if there's such a such a mud chat for a Thomas Wrightout. There is a few Thomas Wrightouts out there. Oh, is there know. doom and gloom? Is there one Mark Doom and dude? This Thomas Wrightout has been in jail a few times. Thomas E. Wrightout has got issues. The wow. Guy, the guy needs some help. Yeah, that Thomas is... E. If you're listening, get some help. I don't see yours. Is this when you were uh, cross dressing? Or do I need to look at a? Uh, uh, Terry, right out or something. What, what's going on here? So, how far back do these things go? Teresa, Teresa, right out. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 106 of PHP Ugly. I'm Tom Rideout. And I'm Eric Van Johnson. And out sick, as always, is John Congdon. Guy's got serious health issues, man. I think he needs to be checked in somewhere. Now, is this because he's got little? little kids that are going to school now is this the little ones they're just vessels of illness and sickness they're just a pain yeah i think that has something to do with it yeah he's sick again the real question is did he send you pictures of it is he just just buckled over in the bathroom that would be an odd picture for him to send but no we're not historically no exactly that close if you take previous pictures you guys have shared into account it's not that strange Sure, how close you think we are, but we're not. I'm vomiting in a toilet. Here's a selfie close. Ah, uh, what have you been up to this week? Oh, a little of this, a little of that. Lots of meetings. I, I'm I'm starting to feel like I'm spending so much of my day in meetings, and I used to be okay with that because I would do my coding at night, and I actually liked that because it just. Things were quiet. I didn't have other people trying to get my opinion on other issues. But lately, like the last week or two, I've just been so drained by the time the day is over. I haven't even been touching code. I need to I need to get over that hurdle because the code isn't going away. Things are just stacking up more and more. I need to start knocking out some tasks here. I need to do it quickly because I've got to catch up on a few things. But it's yeah. been going well. You you know I uh they released for Visual Studio Code. You guys always give me a hard time of how I jump around from editors to editors. This is the one feature that I wish JetBrains would put into PHP Storm. Visual Studio Code released their live coding, so you can you can pair program with people over the internet. I have to be honest with you, my expectations of it were pretty not that big. It's like okay, it's gonna be like a Google Docs thing. Dude, it was it's so much better than that. Yeah. It's so much better. Yeah. When they announced it, of course, immediately I installed the plugin, I fire it up. I get in touch with one of the other Diego Dev people out there, my good buddy Marcus, cuz I know he likes these new shiny things as well. I'm like, "Marcus, man, let's try this live coding thing out." He's like, "Yeah, man, for sure, let's do it." I have a Laravel application fired up in my Visual Studio Code. It, it's really super simple to set up, super simple to share. I mean, I think it was like you know maybe two two clicks, and I'm I'm logged in and sharing my code. Send um, Marcus the link, and uh, there was a little trouble for him making the initial connection. Like he installed the plugin and tried to make connection, but it wouldn't quite make the connection. I think he ended up like restarting Visual Code. Uh, but the second time he did it, it, it happened flawlessly. So if you can think about this. I have my visual code, my visual studio code 
set up and configured specifically for how I like it, which includes them bindings, a lot of them shortcuts, things like that. But Marcus has Visual Studio Code set up completely different than I do. Mm -hmm. And none of that matters. He, he continues to work in his configured Visual Studio Code. I continue to work in my configured Visual Studio Code. But we can see what each other's doing. Like I can see he's on the page that I'm on. It's very that that part is very much like Google Docs. Like I see it has you know, Marcus over his cursor, and I can see what he's typing. If he goes to another file that I'm not currently in, I have a way of tracking him, so I can see which file he he's actually in. And he's so like all, browsing your code base, right? Right. So he he's actually in my in my code. So this is where things, where I started to get concerned, and we started to test a few things. So I asked him, I'm like, well, this is weird. I'm like, edit my .env file. And if you don't, if you don't understand uh, the Laravel framework, or if you haven't used the Laravel framework, or a lot of frameworks at, at this stage. Yeah, it's very a popular dot, now. A .env file is where you kind of put all your sensitive data, like your database connection username and password, any API keys you might have, you typically put it in your .env file. Your, yeah, your encryption secret is there too. Right. So I'm like, go to my .env file and you know, edit something there. He's like, um, I don't see your .env file. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, your .env file isn't on my version of your code. He saw the .env.example file that we created, which was actually custom to that project, but he couldn't see my .env file. I'm like, wow, that is really well thought out. If it left off there, if that's all it did, I saw huge benefits for it. I mean, I, I, can, I can see using this frequently, but it actually went a step further because as I'm exploring, as, as we're testing things, I see that... I can share a terminal with them, a terminal in Visual Studio Code. So Visual Studio Code has its own terminal window. So I can see that I can share a terminal with them. I'm like, well, that's really cool. And sure enough, fire it up and exactly what you expect. He's in the terminal with me. It's like a TMUX session almost. Hmm. I'm like, okay. So that's a bonus. That's, that's nice to have because as I'm running artisan commands or as I'm running commands that relate to the work I'm doing, I'm able to show the person I'm pairing with, okay, run NPM, you know, run dev or run watch, and they can actually see that that running and see the output you get. So I'm like, all right, huge benefit there. And we do some more exploring, and I noticed that another feature it has is it allows me to share a port. I'm like, wait a minute, it allows me to share a port? I'm like, so I go back to my artisan command, I do art, PHP Artisan Serve, which again, Laravel's command to spin up a little local web server to serve up the project you're in. And it runs on like port 8000 uh, by default, I think. And so I, I fire that up in the terminal where Marcus can see I'm firing it up. And then I go and I share that port. I'm like, okay, Marcus, go to your local host port 8000 and tell me if you see the website. He's like, yep. He. He, it was sharing my port with him. So he was able to see the website off that test, that little PHP artisan serve command. Uh, I think in theory, I tried sharing my database uh, with him. So I tried to share 3306 with him. And I even tried to share it on a different port. 
he couldn't seem to make that connection from his machine. Yeah, that's always that's always a pain because you have to do grant on the database with the IP address that it's accessed from. But I was thinking if it was a tunnel, it would it would still think it was local host. So I, I I've since kind of gotten a theory that it's only sharing HTTP and HTTPS. Like it it can't share other protocols. That's a theory. I don't know for sure. That would surprise we get, me. We we couldn't get we couldn't get the MySQL working, um, and we didn't try that hard. Uh, we tried for you know five six minutes and didn't work. But but the web server worked flawlessly. The terminal, the sharing. I was able to boot him off when I didn't want him on anymore. Perfect. Um, <laughs> I tell you, it's it is a compelling reason to use Visual even if you don't use Visual Studio Code as your daily driver, but to use it whenever you have that need to pair program somebody, it's, it's such a great tool. So I've been, I was real happy. That was, that was my little find of the week. I was so pleasantly surprised by that. Now PHP storm just released their 2018.2 build. What does that have in anything special? I, the only thing I see so far is the MacBook touch bar support. Which I know a lot of you guys have those fancy MacBooks with the stupid touch bars. I do. I have that. What does that? What does that do? I think you can bind stuff to that bar now from PHP Storm. Oh, I'm gonna try. That. I'm gonna do that live as as we're talking. I want to see that work because this this touch bar has absolutely no functionality to to me on any level whatsoever. And I, I always said that the one thing I think it would be good at is if they can get uh, the debug buttons yeah, on the yeah. touch and be able to step through a debug session with, with your touch bar, that would be huge. But uh, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's what's being used for or not. I don't see an update. What, which version did you say it was? Uh, 2018.2 EAP. Oh, EAP. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's their early the access EAPs. stuff. Yeah. So I'm on, I'm on 2018.1.3. Yeah, it's got a bunch of new version control stuff, like favorite branches and merge conflicts group and VCS log tabs. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to try that when it gets the main branch. That'd, that'd be nice, but I'm not a fan of the touch bar. As a matter of fact, I, I just ordered some connections because with the new MacBooks, you got to order connections for freaking everything. <laughs> <laughs> but I ordered some uh, mini display to USB-C connections so that I can hook up my monitors here. And I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to convert over to using the laptop as my daily driver, but clamshell it. So shut shut the shell. Yeah. Just use my monitors here and my normal keyboard because I have the trash can uh, Max here. And uh, I, I've got a ton of RAM on this. Um, let me see. I have uh, 64 gigabytes of RAM <laughs> on my Yikes. desktop, but uh, but honestly, you know, it's what do I have on my laptop? I have 16 gigabytes on my laptop, so I'm sacrificing some RAM there. But honestly, now that I'm not using virtual machines anymore, that just doesn't feel like it's going to hurt as bad. And quite frankly. It doesn't seem to matter how much RAM you have. Like the moment you fire up PHP Storm, it just chews up any RAM you have on your system. So I haven't you know? had that problem. Really? 
yeah, yeah, I have. But I'm running a bunch Storm of and even Chrome. Chrome has gotten well. Crazy Chrome, like, yeah, like, Chrome just chews through. Yeah. So I think I think not having all that extra RAM, I'm really not going to feel it as much as I, you know, I would have uh, a few years back. So I think I'm going to try. I think I'm going to go ahead and try to let my laptop be my daily driver for a while. Like the whole reason we did. John and I both got a desktop and a laptop was because we had an office. We were, we were mobile a lot. Um, it was nice to leave, to leave our like laptops at our office, but then come home to our desktops and continue to work. So it was, yeah, that was kind of cool not to have to lug the laptop around everywhere we went. That's kind of when we did it is when we, when we had a, uh, when we had offices. Actually, I mm-hmm. think we kept the trash cans at the office. I don't, I don't remember now where, which ones got the desktop but basically that's what it was used for we, so we didn't have to lug our laptops around with us every day yeah um so it was nice but now that we don't have the office anymore and we work remote you know it's just we still need the like you have to have a laptop because we're going to clients we're working remote we do our little co-working at crepes so you have to have a laptop i had invested so much time in the desktop I still kind of use that as my main machine. I think now I might just switch back to. I'm definitely going to try switching back to the laptop. Like I said, I ordered, I ordered some cables for the mini display to USB C. I ordered a little USB C to USB three hub so I can use all my existing stuff. But I'll see. I'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm not. You know, I, I don't know. I'll see how it goes. I might. Actually, try to put uh, OSX server on the trash can. If if I really feel comfortable with the laptop, I might actually try to put the OSX server on the trash can. Yep. What about you? What have you been up to? I've been I've been rambling here. <laughs> uh, I bought a Jeep. A Jeep vehicle, like a real Jeep, or yeah, like it was this- real, real actual. I bought a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Uh, Grand used. Cherokee, nice. It's it's very fancy. I felt the immediate impulse to get a Jeep tattoo. Wait, I, I guess that's wait, just what? How's that even? How's that an impulse? Have, if, I guess if you're a Jeep owner, you're just you're supposed to like tell everybody and have a tattoo and. <laughs> so you got the you got the Cherokee. So it's it's like an SUV. It's all you didn't get like the ragtop uh, Wrangler. Yeah, right? it's it's the full luxury with all the bells and whistles and. Um, 187,000 miles. Ouch! Yeah. That's a lot of miles, <laughs> it's, man. It's a lot. My budget was low. Uh, 2004. That's kind of old, too. Yeah. No, I, I know. Years. So this is, it's my daily driver, but that's about one or two miles a week. Wow, man, that's a lot of miles. That's pretty, pretty old, but... Well... Okay. My, my budget was 6,000 before taxes mm-hmm. and finding something that was suitable for me for six thousand was very very difficult mm-hmm. um so i mean i spent i tell you i spent weeks and weeks looking at cars and it's just bad option after bad option i, I thought this was what you were taking your 401k loan out for yeah yeah that's what it was oh okay all right so i had 7500 total to spend um, including taxes, so I was shopping for a six thousand dollar car. And, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's nice. You know, uh, I'm I'm always really bad with buyer's remorse. <laughs> it always hits me immediately. Yeah. And real hard. Yeah. And so for me, buying a car is just one of the most stressful things in the world because I know what's going to happen the moment I buy it. And I'm just going <laughs> to freak out. <laughs> yeah, I like buying cars. That's part of my problem. I always, I want to buy a car a year. I, I typically, I mean, I do typically hold on to my cars for a really long time. Like the truck I had before, before I got this one, I had since my kids were five so like 15 16 years and uh the only reason i got rid of that one was because the transmission uh the tranny went bad on it and it was going to cost it was going to cost like forty five hundred dollars to get that repaired and i'm like well you know why am i going to drop forty five hundred dollars in you know a i forget how old the truck was at the time i think it was going on 20 years and I, I wasn't the first owner of it. Yeah, I'm like, why why would I drop that much money in that old of a vehicle and you know, just take it and get another one? So that's why I, why I did that. But yeah, I just I just bought that. <laughs> Don't scare me. I'm not gonna lie. That's a lot of miles on a vehicle. Yeah. Man. No, I I I'm aware. And yeah. Did Did you get any sort of uh, warranty with it? I passed on that. They they wanted way too much. Oh, oh. They wanted way too much because it's such an old vehicle. Yeah, that's that's scary. I mean, do you know, like, the transmission is, like, the big thing. Like, like that's the thing. When the transmission, when the tranny goes bad, it's typically an expensive replace. So, yeah. you'll see. I, the, the, cool. One of the things I like about it is you can pop the hood and you can see all the parts. It's not one of the... <laughs> It's not one of the engine compartments that's so full of garbage that you can't even <laughs> find a single part. Yeah, that's or, what the, we were talking to a, a garage guy uh, not too long ago. And I was asking him, like, you know, how big of a change has it been working on cars in the last 10 years? He goes, he just looks at me and goes, we don't work on cars anymore. He's like, we plug it into a computer, the t- computer tells us what to do, and we do it. Yeah. Like, there's no more... There's no more troubleshooting. There's no more listening for clicks. There's no. He's like, you plug it in, and the damn computer tells you what to do. Well, I, I, my friend had a WRX, and he popped the hood on it for me, and it looked like you had fit an engine twice the size into the engine bay because it was just so pat. You couldn't, you couldn't put a finger between two components. It was so full mm-hmm. of stuff, and it's like, okay, so repairing that's just going to be ten thousand dollars to get to the part that needs to be fixed. Like, and, you know, I'm sending one of my kids to uh, auto shop next year for, mm-hmm. for high school, so that's that built-in care system. <laughs> Is that what you think? No. No, I'm just lying to myself pretty blatantly. I, I, sometimes I feel like that's what we are as developers. We're like the next generation of plumbers and car mechanics. So like, now that, I, I was going to say, now you've... You've got Visual Studio Code running with this this sharing stuff. You, have you thought about offering that as a service, a diagnostic or a co-working service uh-huh. from Diego Dev? Interesting concept. No, I, I haven't. I don't know why I would, but I, I see where you're going with that. That's that's uh, that's an interesting idea. You know, just I've worked with database companies like that. I've worked with. Yeah. Um, Percona does that. Yeah, Percona. I've worked with Percona where we did phone-based cross-diagnosis where we were just working back and forth and back and forth because they could send me the 10K 
Perl scripts, you know, the, the small little Perl scripts, I couldn't send them my 18 gig database in the amount of time I needed it handled. Right. So, yeah, that's yeah, that's cool. No, I I haven't hadn't thought of that, and I'm not sure I'd want to, but it would be it would be fun to. I mean, I could see like um, like doing a live stream, saying, "Hey, you know, who wants to learn? Who wants to pair program a new Laravel app and doing a live stream and having people jump on and kind of walking through? Could be a nightmare too. I don't know." But yeah, all sorts of possibilities are open. Yeah, there's the other question: is how secure is their system? That's that's my question, and I couldn't figure out. So to log in, so you do have to log in to stream, and I assume, I believe Marcus had to log in to connect to the stream, but you could log in through GitHub or Microsoft Live, and I assume all this is going through Microsoft servers, but. You know, who knows? Maybe it is some sort of peer-to-peer thing. And that that was the other thing. We didn't test how many people could connect. So it was just Marcus and I. But I think in theory, multiple people... I mean, there was nothing saying that it was a it was a one-to-one. Like, it just said, here's the link to share to anybody you want to join. You, you know, the wording was like, you could have multiple people in here. Hmm. Well, I got a, I got a story for you. Breaking news. We we talked about uh, Backpage, yeah, getting, yeah, getting shut down. But this is an interesting story because what they were doing might not have been illegal. So mugshots.com is a website. I've used them before. Yeah, is they, that that's the one that takes a daily picture of you? No, this is a this is a website oh. that collects mugshots from. Oh, yeah. No, I haven't agencies. used that one. That's completely no. different than what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, whenever you're um, booked and a mugshot is taken, it's public record. Right. That public record can be requested by anybody, and so it, it gets you know released pretty quickly out there. This website just took all of the mugshots they could find with names and you know general locations and posted them. According to an article from Ars Technica, all of the owners and co-owners have been arrested. Wait, uh, of, of of mugshots.com. Okay. Okay, explain. So, they had a system where you could request your mugshot and name get removed, and it just cost you X amount of money. <laughs> okay. It looks like they've taken in over $2 million in removal fees from approximately 5,700 individuals over the last, what, X number of years? But it's strange, because it's public data. Yeah, I mean, so I see, I see the article says that there were, it was extortion charges. Right, mm-hmm. and I believe they're basing their case on the fact that people who were not charged with a crime still have still mugshots have taken. Mug shot up there. Right, but it's still public information, and them charging to remove it, I mean, all they did was collect it into a single location and then charge to remove it from that location. Don't get me wrong, this is a total scumbag thing to do, mm-hmm. but saying that it's illegal is kind of a stretch. I don't know. I mean, first thing, I, I think it's ironic that they have their mugshots up on our, our Oh, yeah. No, our that's, that's absolutely 
if you're going to do a story on this, the first thing you have to do is get their mug shots. So it's awesome. Yeah. And their bail, bail was set at $1.86 million? Holy God. That's a lot of money. That's about right. That's some cheddar right there. Remember, but, that, remember that bail is set at one-tenth of what you can afford to lose. Or, or ten times what you can afford to lose. Because afford of, to lose? Yeah. No, it's, it's one-tenth of whatever the... That's your bail bondsman's fee. So if they, if they price it at $1.8 then it means that they can get out for 180000 Right. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I mean, this is like those revenge porn sites, right? I mean, I guess it's a little different because that isn't exactly, exactly public information. Right. And not necessarily <clears throat> given willingly. And those sites, I mean, those sites are, are violating very clear legal Privacy boundaries. Laws. Yeah. But this that's is, that's a good question. This is just information that's public information except it instead of having to go to one of a hundred different sheriff's websites you just go to the one website and the fact is that you can't have the so mugshot shot, removed from is mugshots.com still still up i believe so let's check it out yep it's still up and running so that's the thing is that it, what they were doing posting all of these mugshots wasn't illegal it was charging money to get the removal that that they're saying was illegal. This is a crappy site, too, by the way. I'm I'm just going to put that out there. See, they had things categorized into, like, current events, uh, terrorism, celebrity. I mean, they were adding their own information. You can even see the arrest record, criminal arrest records. I bet you they charge for that, don't they? Yes, they do. See, you but now really do. they have a website, Unpublish Arrest, or Remove Arrest, which they acted like wasn't their company. It was, it'll get removed from all these different websites, but in reality, they ran all the websites and ran the company to mm. remove you. Yeah. But still, not the, the, the search on this illegal. thing illegal. The search on this thing is horrible. Like, how how do you even find anybody on this thing? It, it's absolutely horrible. I found your mugshot. Let's see. Let me type my name because there's like a million Eric Johnsons. Let me see. Uh, let me see what comes up here. You know, we have a friend that we could look up to. Well, at least Eric Johnson's coming up. Yeah. See, this is what I'm saying. It's it's it's. There's one, two, three. So keep in mind, Eric Johnson's a super common name, but there's one, two, three, four Eric Johnsons, then it goes to Eric Terry. Now, let's see it goes back to Eric Johnson's. Huh. Let me, let me, um... So does this make us part of the problem now? That probably. We're just, we're just surfing mugshots.com. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to see if there's such a, such a mugshot for a Thomas Wrightout. There is a few Thomas Wrightouts out there. Oh, is there know. doom and gloom? Is there one Mark Doom and dude? This Thomas Wrightout has been in jail a few times. Thomas E. Wrightout has got issues. <laughs> the wow, guy need, the guy needs some help. Yeah, Thomas is... E. If you're listening, get some help. I, I don't see yours. Is, is this when you were uh, cross-dressing? Or do I need to look at a uh, uh, Terry Wrightout or something? What, what's going on here? So, how far back do these things go? Teresa, Teresa Wrightout. <laughs> 
<laughs> How far back do these things go? I don't know. <laughs> Let's look up John Congdon. We we all know John Congdon's been arrested. He's he's told us about that. He, that's a that's actually a very funny story. If you're if you're ever uh, hanging out with John and buy the guy a couple beers and ask him about the day he got arrested for running from the police, <laughs> it's actually pretty pretty entertaining. It was um, uh, disc golf related. It was. <laughs> Yeah, no John Congdon in here. So this this must be like um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put one in here. I know. Is this like all states or this is yeah. the, this is this is what our podcast has come down to? We're 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 cruising mugshots.com trying to find people we know. Well, I just thought it was so fascinating that that their business removal their their business model is the removal of public information from a private site, but. Not the removal of public information from the public sources, right? And and, and still, it, it it bears the question: What laws were they breaking? Like, what did they the extortion because they were charging money? I, I guess. I, I mean, I, I, I can kind of still I see think they that got argument. Greedy. I think they got greedy, and when people were higher profile or they thought somebody could afford more, they asked for more, which really? would indicate that it was an attempt to extort, not an attempt to process fees or basic business. That's a good point. Yeah. If they didn't have like a standard pay structure that, that you can pay to uh, be removed, that would be extortion. Speaking of crime, you know, it's popular right now. That's nest, false. nest cameras. I have, I have nest cameras. Did you notice, uh, last night when it just stopped working? No, my nest camera stopped working last night. Yeah, uh, the entire Nest network, every Nest device, uh, st- stopped working for a couple hours last night. Couple hours? That's weird, because I, I... Well, I guess if the whole system was down, maybe they caught it, but mine is configured to send me a notification when it... when it, Actually, no, it, it's configured to send me a notification when it loses internet connectivity. Yeah, the whole Nest service went down, and they haven't disclosed yet what happened. Okay. But the Nest locks, uh, Nest cameras, Nest secure, smoke detectors, doorbells, alarms, thermostats, all went down. That seems dangerous. Um, fortunately, the locks still function with a key, so you could get into your house if you needed to, or out. Yeah. <laughs> but... It's tagged under the uh, the common talking point Internet of Shit, and I don't disagree. I think I think it, it this speaks so poorly to the idea of having a remotely hosted service for all of these things. Well, that's my big concern about the um, the thermostats. You know, I, I keep asking the salespeople, I'm like, how much dependency does this have on the rem- on a remote service? Because whatever service it ties into, I don't care who you are. I mean, currently it's Google, just as coincidence might be. But I don't care who you are. Whatever service is tied into that Nest thermostat, I got a pretty good feeling it's not going to be there 20 years from now. Or yeah. it's going to try and uh, violate net neutrality and cut Nest off and say, yeah, Nest devices don't work on Comcast networks. Or, or, or yeah, or you talk about extortion. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, 
Cox comes to you, oh, hey, by the way, do you want all your smart home devices to work? Yeah, you got to pay us an extra uh, 50 bucks a month for that. I think the home server market is a billion-dollar industry waiting to happen. That's Again, that's why I'm thinking about put, making the trash can a home server. That's what I'm thinking about doing. But now you have to you have to get devices that are home server compatible and not yeah. remote yeah. system compatible, you know? It's Yeah. That's a challenge. The internet used to be about standards and protocols and now it's all about uniqueness and incompatibility and it sucks. Mm-hmm. We forgot to tweet this uh, show out, man. Just noticed nobody's watching. I'm like, why is nobody watching? Because we, we forgot to tell anybody we're wrong. I told the IRC channel that attendance was mandatory. I don't think they took me seriously. No, nobody's in IRC. <laughs> oh, that's that's why. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about a spear phishing attack that Diego Dev mm-hmm. got got caught under, and one of our solutions for that was using an email client that did automatic PGP signing. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yep. Um, and, and PGP encryption. Proton Mill is one we discussed. Well, the big news today, or this this week, this episode, is the e-fail vulnerabilities. A research group has released a functioning proof of concept that breaks several implementations of automated PGP encryption in emails. It is a strange bug. It is a strange collection of bugs. Essentially, back all the way back to the old days of allowing JavaScript to run on your email client, when that was just <laughs> the worst terrible thing that ever happened, they got rid of that. This is very similar. You end up wrapping an email, you, you wrap a link in the encrypted contents of an email, and yeah. when the browser or when the email client gets it, it decrypts the components that are encrypted and the link or the image uh, now has the decrypted contents and the email tries to fetch the image which passes the decrypted contents to a URL that is your design. So if they intercept an email, yeah, it's kind of weird. But... This is this is the. So I will say uh, I'll try to find it here. But Proton uh, Proton Mail had a blog post on this. Um, no, PGB is not broken. Not even the e fail. It's a pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty good blog post here. I'll, I'll add it to the show notes. I don't know if, if you have something to add to the show notes for this as well, but. Uh, it's funny you, sh- you brought this up because after reading this, and, and I had been on the fence for a while about this, uh, and we talked about it. I think we talked about it during that spear phishing episode as well. But I did, I did pull the trigger and actually sign up for a uh, Proton. I, I have a paid Proton Mail account now. Ooh, fancy! Yeah. So if you want to email me at ericvanjohnson at pm dot me. That's my uh, Proton Mail email address. I think uh, it's also you can do Eric Van Johnson at protonmail.com and I, I have a I have a custom domain signed up as well, but that's that's my private uh, custom domain. I'm not going to share with the public. 
But uh, yeah, send me uh, send me an email. I wonder if I can get a. Oh, I wonder if can I get other. I think I can create other users. I wonder if I can set up a. I wonder if I can set up PHP Ugly. Let me see. Adam's address. Let me see. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna add PHP Ugly uh, at protonmail.com. Let me see if this works. Uh, I don't necessarily need my Diego Dev signature for this one. I uh, will have my display name. Let's see if this works here. PHP Ugly at protonmail.com. Oh, I gotta put in my freaking. I, I tell you, <laughs> security is like a big thing with with them. You you have to put in your two factor every time you try to make a change. You have to put in a, your a, the whatever the two factor is, which is kind of annoying because normally you close. Oh, look at that! I I have uh oh I I have to create I have to generate a uh, public key for it. Let me do that real fast. Uh, there you go. Okay. If you want to email me, you can email me at phpugly at protonmail.com. And, uh, I will, uh, I will get those emails now. So, yeah, that's cool. That's, I'm, I'm glad you, uh, glad you thought of that, Thomas. Yeah, it's, it's what I do. <laughs> so this, this attack, there's two methods of this attack. Um, the first one, which is really, really simple. You just, uh, you wrap the encrypted text around, uh, or you you wrap the encrypted text with an image tag, and boom, send it to the client that auto decrypts it, and you're you're golden. The second attack is far more complicated, and does take advantage of vulnerabilities in the MIME, SMIME, and OpenPGP protocols, and. The, the encryption type that's described by OpenPGP was apparently written in 77. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is old encryption. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is client-specific. There are a number of clients that are not vulnerable in PGP mode. Now, in the SMIME clients, most of them are vulnerable. But in PGP clients... Uh, they are not. So you know the big the big story is update, cover your asses, and make sure someone can't get the original encrypted values in the first place. You and I are gonna have to do some testing with the Proton Mail because I tried. Uh, I, I did some testing with myself on it, and uh, I didn't see like um, a way to send my public key to you. Typically, with uh, in PGP. You you have the option of adding your public key to a pub, public key server. So if somebody wants to send you an encrypted email, they can kind of look up your email address on these public key servers, right? And, like an LDAP thing or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. And the, and ProtonMail doesn't appear to do that. At least it had. Maybe it takes some time. I I, I actually didn't test that. Maybe it took some time to do it. But and then I also couldn't figure out. Um, Maybe I did figure that out actually. How to just attach attach my public key? I think I, I think you you just have to compose. Let me, let me just take a quick look here. Quick, up, compose encrypt encryption. Nope, not encryption. Yeah, yeah. So I'm back. I'm back to this. I can't figure out how to just attach my public key to an email I'm sending to you, so you have it. It's the weirdest thing. Like you think that would be a feature of composing an email, 
where I can just sign it, or I can encrypt it, or I can just send you my public key. That's so weird. I need to I need to play with it. I ended up putting my public key on a shared Dropbox and putting that in my signature, so that if you wanted to ever send me an encrypted email, you could. But like once you have the keys exchanged, yeah, it works like a works like a charm. Yeah, I like it. Since we're talking about this, and since I brought up two factor, somebody, some you got you got mentioned in my Twitter stream as well today. Are you you were implied in my Twitter stream as doom and gloom? Yeah, I, I go lot, by that. I go by doom a lot and gloom. of people know you from yeah, Frick, a popular Laravel package developer, uh, posted something that we we've been talking about. John and I have been talking about for a while. So John. John and I are on opposite sides of password managers. Uh, I, I'm a big LastPass person, and he he's always been a one-password person. And it was one of the few times where I played my CTO card within our company of Diego Dev and mandated LastPass be the system we use for sharing passwords amongst our, our team. There was a couple of considerations that went into it at the time. Um, not everybody was a Mac or Windows user, uh, so one password. I don't know if they. I'm not sure if they had their their uh, web client at that time, but I know for a fact that their their big their thick clients didn't run on Linux. Um, and I just in general wasn't a one password fan. I have. I have warmed up to one password over the years. Uh, I think they've made like a lot of of strides. Whereas LastPass, I feel feel like you know it is what it is. They're not really improving a lot on it, but it, oh, I it, love it. It's not really yeah, it's not really broken either. I mean, it kind of does what it's supposed to do, and it does it fairly well. So we still use LastPass uh, for for Diego Dev stuff, but I've been finding. Using I'm using one password more and more, especially for for the like uh, things that just John and I share. So we have groups in LastPass for for uh, system ops people, for um, for uh, super users. Like uh, you know, we have administrators who have additional access to some of our client services. We have groups that are just for developers, so like passwords we share between developers, like API keys or whatever that might be. Um, but for the stuff that you know, just John and I have, well, a lot of times we'll just do that in one password, mainly because John refuses to embrace LastPass. But I also like having that separate. Separate. It's perfectly well, reasonable. Within, like I said, one password's been making all these improvements, and one of the things that they that they added to one password was two factor. So these websites that you have, uh, you can enable two factor on, and your little one pass, you can enable two factor and one pass as well. And it's it's even smart enough to know, like if you log on to a website that has two factor, you know it'll put in the username and password, and then it'll put a two factor code into your clipboard. So when you hit sign in and you're prompted for two factor, you just paste and go. Doesn't that and seem like it's one factor now? Then this is our point exactly. It's like as super cool as that is, it really circumvents the whole 
requirement for two-factor authentication. Right, because to me, the second factor is that I have to use a separate device entirely. Exactly. And I'm so torn on it, because I love having it, so I enabled it for one yeah, it's site. it's cool, but it's not two-factor anymore. I know. It's just, it's just a password number two. It's password one and password two. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's funny, because John and I debated for a long time, because for two-factor... Uh, a couple of years ago, we switched over to Authy from Google Authenticator. So sure. we had switched we had switched over to Authy, and one of the features that Authy had that, that at the time Google Authenticator didn't was Authy had a browser plugin, and we had the same conversation back then. It's like, okay, well, if the two factor is a browser plugin, then you know, aren't you kind of circumventing that? But I ended up installing it for convenience because you still have to log into it. Uh, I don't think John ever did. I think John only has his Authy on his phone, which is the way Google Authenticator used to work. So I, I had caved and I had put the browser plugin on, on my browser. So I keep lowering that bar more and more. <laughs> and man, I tell you, that one password one is so stinking appealing and i really want to do it and i'm fighting right, but the idea is that it, it shouldn't be appealing it shouldn't i mean i remember when banks security were required. isn't supposed to be convenient yes i i know i know that banks <laughs> were required to implement two-factor authentication uh back in the late 90s mm -hmm. and what most banks did was assign a a an icon to your account so that if you saw this icon and it wasn't yeah. the correct mm -hmm. icon, you would know that you weren't on the legitimate website. And it was I such it was that, the so. worst <laughs> form of two factor and it was eventually ruled not functional. I mean it's it's not two factor because A, it can be faked and B, people didn't even know what it was for. If you didn't see the top hat, if you saw a soccer ball instead, no one <laughs> knew what that meant. It was so terrible. And it seems like this is just walking its way all the way back to that again. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, and, and I know that plugins are not very secure. Mm -hmm. I, got, I told you last week I got a new phone. Yeah, you, how are you liking that? You still loving it? I'm still loving it, but I've, I ran into something that was real weird. Okay. There was a default app installed called like AT&T Backup or something like that, or AT&T History. And I, I was going through my phone, deleting all of the old, all of the, the built-in garbage that I, I had, and I ran into this thing and I opened it up, and it had screenshots of everything I had done on my phone since I got it. What? I, 100%. It was really weird. And I told my wife that about is really it. Weird. I told my wife about it. My wife is not big on security and privacy and stuff like that. And I told her about it, and she went, "No way, no, 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 no." So now I think my wife's cheating on me. So wait a minute. So you're saying you went in there, you went into this backup program, and it was it was just taking like periodic screenshots of your phone. I deleted it real fast, but I believe it was like previous states of my phone. 
the the same way that Apple does Time Machine or oh, Microsoft. so so it was like images. They were like images. They were images associated with backup states or something like that. Oh, okay, I can see. But that. I mean, yeah. it was my full history of of when I bought the phone and then everything I did on my phone. It seemed like every time the screen changed, it snapshotted it. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have been too worried about that. I guess, including my logging in for LastPass for the first time and stuff like that. Yeah, like there was clear text in there that I did not want. <laughs> Remember the old Windows NT days? Every now and then you'd have to boot from last known good. <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's a recent bug too with. Um, the chat app signal yeah that's a that's a big privacy one well they they found out um, that if you're on a mac it's not snowden (laughs) Snowden recommended oh really yeah it turns out that uh the the system for notifications on macs um growl Mm -hmm. doesn't properly flush the log of what it had popped up to notify you of. And so people were finding that their whole signal conversations were being stored by growl in plain text. Jeez. I haven't logged in signal forever. I started using, um, I moved over to Telegram. And uh, that's kind of been my, my peer-to-peer messaging service that I've been using. You should have let Jose know that. He, he'd been trying to get a hold of you for a while. I actually, I told him today, I'm like, man, d- dude, who uses Skype anymore? Is like, why, why are you trying to get a hold of me on Skype, man? This is, this is a dead platform. He goes, I'm sorry, do I need to go over to AOL Messenger? I'm like, yes. It's <laughs> Yahoo dead, Messenger. Man. Go AOL's over there. dead. Yeah. You guys need to get caught up with technology. You said you guys are using Slack, right? You guys have Slack? Oh, yeah. We're, we're full-time Slack. That's all I do all day. Oh, yeah? Oh, so he just uses uh, Skype for his personal communications? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, and Skype is common for B2B stuff. Yeah. Oh, but, I forgot yeah. sig- signals related to, is, is associated to your phone, huh? Why is that? So I can't even install the desktop app without having having the phone app installed. So it's funny, you should you should mention that. I, I um, yesterday... Did a factory factory reset on my S8. I did this. Check this out. For about two months now, I I haven't been able to get my Google Calendar to sync with my phone. So even though I'm using the Google Calendar app on my phone, it wouldn't sync with my Google Calendar on the website. And I tried everything. And I'm a fairly talented, tech-savvy person. And I could not get it to work. I eventually broke down and asked John for his help on it. Because John is typically really good at figuring this this sort of stuff out. He probably messed with it for about a solid hour. And couldn't figure out why why it wasn't succeeding either. I ended up blowing away my entire phone. Doing a complete factory reset. Just to get the calendar sync working again. Which it is. And I'm actually glad I did. I, I, I like I like resetting my phone from time to time because it does seem to run better for a while. Yeah, I've got my old uh, Note Four factory reset now, getting ready to run it as a uh, 3D printer manager. There you go. You should you should use it for that old that Snowden app to find people sneaking up on you. No, I, I'm going to use it for controlling my 3D printer because it works great mm-hmm. as a little micro server. 
I'm signing up for Signal again just because now I want to. Such a junkie for this stuff. It's ridiculous. I need to stop. Now, before Doom and Gloom, I wanna I wanna discuss before Doom and Gloom the thirty five dollar activity tracker for mental health and more. Okay, I love this thing. It's a hack a day project. It's a fitness watch. It's got a crummy but functional color screen. It's running an open source board on the inside. And so there are some people who have started hacking the crap out of this thing. Mm -hmm. And there is some software you can install on it that will help with certain OCD behaviors, like um, repetitive behavior detection and things like that. And they've also got a version of it they hacked up that can detect things in your breath. So they've they wired up a retainer and they've got it hooked up to the watch and it's outputting information on what you're breathing out, what you're exhaling. It's <laughs> Interesting. weird stuff. Mm-hmm. But I really like the mental health element. I like the detection of breathing patterns, the it's it's got a, a a mode where if you have an anxiety attack, it will help you breathe by vibrating in a pattern, and you have to breathe in the pattern to calm down. It's got all of these possible modes to do really interesting stuff. And yeah, like thirty five bucks, man. You gonna grab, you gonna get one? Thinking about it, my wife wanted a, a Fitbit HR two for Mother's Day, and I tried to convince her to get one of these because it was. $35 instead of $130, but it was Mother's Day and there was no convincing her. So you got her a Fitbit? Yeah. I got my I got my wife a few years back, I think, uh, one of the Samsung ones. And uh, I thought she'd forgotten all about it, but she's, she still wears that thing. I'm actually really happy with how well it's performing for her. I forget what it's called. It's... Um, it's it was the, like the really thin Samsung one. It has a fairly nice screen on it, uh, but yeah. like the Sense Two or something like that. I don't. I don't. I really don't know what it's called. She she kept calling it a Fitbit. I'm like, man, I don't remember buying you that nice of a Fitbit. She was talking about her Fitbit screen. I'm like, I don't remember buying you that nice of a Fitbit. And then she showed it to me. I'm like, that's not a Fitbit. That's a Samsung. And I had totally forgotten I had bought it for her at the time. And uh, yeah, I've thought about it, but I'm not. I'm not a watch person. I just I can't pull it off. I get all yeah, I get all sweaty, and I start picking at it. Uh, it's the fitness band. It's the Samsung Smart Fitness Band, is what she has. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, it works works really well. Wow, they're expensive though. Wow, did I spend that much money on that thing? Are you I mean, sure it wasn't new- the hand me down? It wasn't one where you bought it because it was a bleeding edge technology. Yeah, it might have been like one of like the uh, like it's probably it was probably one of these ones that you, that you can't even buy anymore. Like the, like you said, the S two or something. I don't know. I don't remember spending that much money on it. So now the question is: Do I want to use Signal as my default SMS MMS messenger? No, I kind of feel like I do. Why wouldn't I? Wouldn't it encrypt all my? Well, messages? if the other person's using Signal already. That, well, I'm, I'm more. Talk about like so applications like Facebook won't get them. I feel like that's a good idea. I'm doing it because I, n- I never use the, uh, the the messaging system on my phone. I have a I have a Google Voice phone number that I've used since since it was it used to be called Grand Central. 
Yeah, Grand yeah. Central before Google bought it. I've been using that number for so stinking long. It's, it was cool because uh, I, I've worked for companies that have given me cell phones. And, you know, there was one point in my life where I had I had my company cell phone. I had my personal cell phone. I had a physical phone on my desk at work. I had uh, a Skype number for virtual calls. And I had it all in my Grand Central. So I just gave everybody my Grand Central number and it rang everything. Um, so, so yeah, I, I use Google Hangouts now for all my messaging stuff. And, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll make Signal my, my default messenger here. There you go. Import existing. I, I can't see what could possibly go wrong. I, I can't possibly imagine. No. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's a well-established... Uh, solution. So there you have it. We're going to have a really fun meetup uh, next month. The whole meetup is going to be uh, hacking, like hacking on uh, systems. And um, when we were when we went to Austin, uh, Longhorn PHP in Austin, Texas, John attended um, one of the sessions that was kind of this hacking, how to break into websites and. They did a whole capture the flag uh, contest, and John loved it. And so we're gonna we're gonna be doing one uh, for SDPHP next month. Uh, if you're if you're local to San Diego and you like security and or PHP, uh, check out next month's SDPHP meetup. It should be a lot of fun. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Oh, and some other big news. Oh my goodness, uh, we finally I think we're down to I think I think we got. Actually, let me pull up a database real quick. I think all the way PHP speakers have confirmed. So who's the keynote? Uh, um, we can't. We're still not giving that information away. damn it. But um, the, the one that I really wanted to confirm that, that had been kind of uh, not blowing us off, but it, you had us on hold for uh, the longest time. Uh, why can't I connect to my um, local database? Oh, I must not be running it. Uh, Jesse Decker. Jesse's the newest one. He's That's actually a name a local. I haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, he's the he's best a dressed local man at SDPHP. <laughs> That's what John calls him, the best dressed PHP developer in San Diego. He's yeah. he, that's that's a handsome man. So yeah, he's he's talking. We have a couple of locals. Uh, our, our buddy Marcus Moore. He'll be doing a talk. He's a Diego Dev person. Why can't I connect to my, um, this is bothering me actually now, 1001, I can't connect to my local, uh, MySQL. Well, shit, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to figure that one out. Um, we have a Juan who was, he, he had one of the best talks on Solid. You remember, you remember Juan, he did the talk on Solid up in, uh, Carlsbad at yeah, the yeah. North County PHP meetup. Uh, Juan Manuel Torres? Yeah, um, he's a local. He's a local guy. So I, I've got I've got three more speakers I need to add to that list that we just got confirmation. Actually, actually, I guess technically we're still missing one confirmation, but his company uh, is actually sponsoring his talk, so I think he's kind of required to confirm. So hopefully he makes it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, the, I got, I got a confirmation. I mean, I guess I can tell, tell you guys, I mean, but no, just, just watch this. Well, thing. you're, you're just, editing, so you can cut it out if you need to. 
Yeah, yeah. But just watch the site. You'll you'll see the people. You'll see us add people. But but it's cool because I I think now that we have all the uh, confirmations, next thing is releasing um releasing uh the schedule and the talks and the keynotes. So oh, actually. Actually, now that I say that, we are technically missing one keynote. So we had a keynote speaker pull out on us, which we um, so we either have we we will either use that spot for two more sessions, or we'll reschedule a keynote another keynote speaker. So I guess we still have one more potential spot to fill. Potentially two more spots to fill, but at least one more spot to fill. Um, so yeah, kind of cool. I'm excited. I'm really excited. Excited for, to it. excited for Doom and Gloom? Oh god, I've been trying to get you to forget about Doom and Gloom. Alright, let's do this. I'll never, I'll never forget. Looks like Drupal's catching up with WordPress. Oh really? Because vulnerabilities? last week... Over 400 sites running Drupal were affected with a cryptocurrency miner. No kidding. Uh, this is, of course, the CoinHive cryptocurrency miner. And because no one understands cryptocurrency, they used the Bitcoin symbol to represent Monero. <laughs> but the... I'm curious about this because it seems like this is the perfect situation for two-factor authentication. I mean, uh, a change to a blog or a code base, it seems like you could run a, a supervisor that would just watch for changes, watch for new data, and have protected data sources and say, like, yeah, you need 2FA to submit this change. Mm -hmm. um, it's an older vulnerability, and this is really, it was applied to websites that weren't being kept up to date. Uh, but it was a botnet that was used to scan the web for vulnerable Drupal installs. And Drupal is big enough to the point where people set up their websites, their CMS websites, and run them and then just walked away from them a couple years later and never did anything yeah. with them again. And it's the same problem That's, that WordPress has. Yeah, exactly. People people thought, and we were, I worked in uh, a company that thought that WordPress was a set-it-and-forget-it solution. I'm like, oh, my God. It's so far from that. You're not, it's you the opposite no of that. I mean... Yeah. A custom solution is much more set it and forget it than WordPress because WordPress is constantly attacked. Yeah. But to their credit, it's also constantly patched. You know, it's you know vulnerabilities are constantly always being identified and and you know uh, fixed before uh, they run wild. But you know, these companies they don't they don't bother with that. Well, I. I've been looking, I looked at the WordPress code base a while back, and it is monstrous. I mean, the the biggest problems with it are the way it handles globally scoped variables and the fact that it's a, it's a DSL, a, a domain-specific language. 
It's mm-hmm. so impossible to tell what's going on in so many components. And I just, I, I, can't, I can't understand how it's still acceptable to run a WordPress site for anything anymore. <laughs> I mean, I, I have, there's a, a static site generator that I've used. And it will never be a problem because it's a static site generator. There's nothing for anyone to attack. Mm-hmm. Why would you run... I still see companies, t-shirt companies and stuff, running shops on WordPress, which amazes me. I, I just... I don't, I don't get... I, I may or not, I may or may not be updating the SDPHP WordPress uh, <laughs> install <laughs> as we speak. It's been it's been a while. It's always fun to see if the site uh, if the site still displays properly. Oh yeah, we're good. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know why people don't update their uh, WordPress installs. <laughs> it's yeah, a pain in the ass. It's it's. I mean, we have to we have to have tomato timers to remind us to stand up every forty five minutes. Why is why would anyone remember to update WordPress? Jeez, yeah, and you gotta update plugins too. Come on, you have to update the themes because themes can be vulnerable because it's a DSL. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even themes you're not using. Seems like you need to make sure everything is yeah. updated. Baffling. And if someone yeah. wants to compromise a plugin, then there's nothing you can do about that. Like what happened with uBlock. So do you do you use uBlock or uBlock Origin? I, I, I let's see, what am I using? Because I do use uBlock Origin and I do I'm using uBlock Origin because of you. So are you ago, telling me are you telling me that's bad now? A while ago, uBlock stopped getting maintained, stopped getting work done. They made some proposals that upset people. The whole project got forked over to uBlock Origin, which is the good version of the plugin right now. Well, okay. this week, somebody took up... Somebody, somebody got added to the GitHub account for uBlock, the original, not uBlock Origin, and... Started updating it. These updates, because they're Chrome plugins, get pushed out automatically to Chrome browsers who have uBlock installed. And the updates they added started tracking user activity. <laughs> it's kind of the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be doing. It is the exact opposite. Uh, I've got the specific commit log here but but between version 953 beta 2 and 954 they've added in a whole new system several hundred lines tracking the user's activity pinging and scheduling things and they're still asking for donations besides the fact that it's not being updated except to track you <laughs> Uh, right, fortunately, so, so people paid I'm attention. Good using, I'm good using uBlock Origin still. So uBlock Origin is still good. Because right. I switched over that because of you. Yes. Just FYI. But 
uBlock is not good anymore. uBlock is now collecting information and sending it to uBlock.org that has information such as your browser, sites that you've blocked, uh, operating system, browser version, user ID, uh, all your settings for what your block count is and allowed count. Uh, just stuff that they don't need. So that's that's the is, doom and gloom. Is that, is that your doom and gloom? That's my doom and gloom. That's all I got. All right. That's good. It's been it's been nice. I mean, we're not we we haven't covered because it's almost impossible to cover the fact that every cell phone company has been freely giving information to a tracking company that's been selling it to a collection company that's been giving it to police agencies. Oh my god. Holy I got I got older. I got specifically harassed about this one on Twitter, and and all I can say is, yes, police are abusing their power to track you with your cell phone, and you can't do anything about it. Nope. And the, the, nope. The, day, the day after it was released that this company was aggregating all this data and then selling it to police, they were hacked because their security is terrible. <laughs> so, not only are they doing something immoral, but it's also being done incompetently. And I guess I guess that's doom and gloom. <laughs> do, do, you, do you have a link to this? Is this something you're going to put into the uh, show notes? I, I can throw it in. The, I can throw it in the show notes. Yeah, I've got a link to it. All right, we'll put that in the show notes. Now that you you spent a good three minutes on it. That was that was a, just a terrifying thirty seconds. What's that thirty? Was that just thirty seconds? Felt so much longer. Let's <laughs> <laughs> do most of my conversations with you. Seem really long, <laughs> but it, it came in clear stereo audio. That's what's That's important. Right. Oh, did you did you catch that? Uh, you catch that tweet? I heard about it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened there. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. I favor the left channel, anyways. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if the issue was on your end or my end. I, I think so. We tried to use that for the listeners. Um, Thomas and I have been sharing editing duties. He'll edit for a while, and I'll edit for a while, and he'll edit for a while. And it's uh, it's kind of my cycle. Uh, we need to get John in that loop at some point. But a while back, we'd been using a service called Zencaster, which worked pretty well for us um, in the sense that it, it helps synchronize all of our uh, all of, all of our audio. But Thomas noticed, and this this all happened. Um, while Thomas was editing, editing. Yeah, and this is Thomas, in like the first thirty episodes too. This is a while back. Yeah, Thomas started to notice that you know Zencaster had a lot of drift on it, um, which basically is when one of the streams, although all the streams are supposed to be synced up, one of the streams would get out of sync. It's so weird when it happens because it's not, it's not always obvious. Like. You're you're listening when you're editing. You're listening. It's like wow, he responded really quick, and or you know you're you're not sure where the drift is happening. So we stopped using it for a while, and uh, there was a bunch of blog posts because apparently this this is a very common issue with Zencaster. So we try tried to use it again last week, and once again, it seems to happen to Thomas's stream more than John and I. I think I don't yeah, know it's because. John and I, John and I have a very similar setup. We have the same mic, same computer. 
Uh, Thomas has a different mic, different computer, so I don't, I, I don't know if that's a factor or not. But yeah, well, I like to think different. My, uh, I, my editing, it was just like it was. His, Thomas's drift was horrible, but the problem with it is, we we also record locally, and that's that's what we've been editing with. So we t- we 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 record locally, but by the time you realize how bad the drift has gotten, you're like halfway through editing the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you're at the end of the podcast. <laughs> I'm off by four or five seconds. And so I'm like, well, shit, you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and finish editing. No, you're off by way more than four or five seconds, like forty or fifty seconds. But that's so, so you just, weird. You kind of push through it, and then for some reason, I, I don't know if it was Zencaster because I didn't notice it when I was editing. I don't know if it was Zencaster or when I pulled it into Audacity and compressed everything down, but somehow Thomas ended up in one channel um, for the final cut. And John and I were fine. Our, our channels were fine. But, yeah, for for whatever reason, Thomas uh, Thomas's channel got messed up. So I apologize for that. Yeah, and, so uh, unfortunately, it's another strike against Zencaster. Because they, really they really put a lot of work into it. We got warning messages about when my bitrate was off and I fixed it. And mm-hmm. we, we did a lot of tweaking to make sure that it worked correctly. And <clears throat> the fact that there's still drift is really bad news. And unfortunately, John and I hold on to that. It's a paid service, and John and I hold on to it for the PHP Architect podcast because um, for that podcast, we we don't actually use it for our piece, but we interview people. And it's so easy to tell people, don't worry about it, just dial in and we'll record your audio. Because not everybody, it does take a little effort to understand how you have to record your own audio and to to get it to someone so it's nice to tell people no no go to this website we'll record your audio for you you don't have to worry about it but um and it it seemed like it was a it was a service worth paying for when we were using it for php ugly as well but now i I might have to go to php architect and say hey you guys need to pay for this because we're not using it anymore and i don't want to pay for it anymore yeah, it's a bummer. As yeah. all as all things that end the show are. Typically. Thanks for helping out with Doom and Gloom. That's what I, that's what I'm here for, man. Here add a little add you. a little spice to the end of the show. <laughs> Alright, I think that's it for episode one oh six of PHP Ugly. I'm Eric Van Johnson. I'm Tom Rideout. Keep, Keep it, it ugly. ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly. And a special thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you are looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then you want to reach out to the Diego Dev Group. You can find the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Links and show notes from this episode of PHP Ugly can be found at www.phpugly.com. You can follow our hosts on Twitter. You can also follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at phpugly. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Play Podcast, or SoundCloud. If you like what you hear, then please leave us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, keep it ugly.